2014 will go down as the warmest year around the globe in recorded history. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. Your show this July was the single hottest month in recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. The rate is a great concern. And what do you put that rate down to? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say the will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to Climactic. The Transitions Film Festival takes place every year in Melbourne. This year, Climactic was invited to interview some of the creators of the extraordinary films featured in the festival. Transitions finds films that engage with the realities of life today and that reach into the future to show us the ways we engage with our problems, change our behavior, and hopefully secure our future. In this episode, you'll hear the director of The Whale and the Raven, Miriam Lutzi, in conversation with Tess Chapman. But before we get to that, we'd like to thank a few people first. This film was a German-Canadian co-production. So luckily, I'm an almost Canadian, and my wife Lisa, hello Lisa, hello, is from Germany. So here goes. Daniel Simons, director of the Transitions Film Festival, for making this introduction. Writer, director, Miriam Leutze, co-producer, Sandra Brandl, Producers Marcelo Busse, Andrew Williamson, Henrik Meyer, Executive Producers Shirley Vercruz, Sabine Bubek Pass, Consulting Producer Christian Witzi. The Whale and the Raven is a German Canadian co production of Busse und Halberschmidt, Cedar Island Films, and the National Film Board of Canada, and ZDF in collaboration with Art Topos Film with the support of the Film und Medienstiftung NRW. You're listening to Climactic. G'day, g'day. My name is Tess Chapman, one half of Seasters, brought to you here today by the Climactic Collective. Here with me today is Miriam Luizzi, cultural anthropologist, journalist and filmmaker, who has most recently directed a documentary called The Whale and the Raven, set in the Canadian Pacific in an idyllic Ford system known as the Kitimat Ford system. Today I'm going to talk to you from Mingen, Brisbane, and tune in and all the way from Germany. Thank you for talking to us, Miriam. Good morning from Germany. Hello. The documentary that you've made, I I have been lucky enough to see it myself, um, and it's absolutely a stunning film. Um, And it does cover a multitude of issues um, that all seem to be connected by the wildlife in the Kitimat Ford system. Could you give us a brief introduction to the film? Yes. So the film follows um, two whale researchers, Cheney Ray and Herman Meuter, Both are settler Canadians and they have set out to build a um, remote whale research station in um, at the north coast of um, British Columbia in the First Nation territory of the Gitget First Nation and they seek permission in 2002 and were uh, invited in the territory to do whale research there and only three years after they had settled there and built up their research station, um, uh, oil proposal came into that region 
um, to build an oil pipeline from, from the tar sand fields in, in Alberta to the coast, to a coastal tall town called Kidimet, and then the, the crude oil would have been transported to the fjord system. And then this oil project was defeated, and after that the gas industry came in, and now it's all about gas super tankers going through that narrow fjord system. And I tried to, to picture in that film the whole region, that means Jane and Herman, the two whale researchers, the First Nation um, village of Hartley Bay and the um, citizens there and the little industrial settler town of Kidimat where the industry, um, the export, LNG export industry would are is going to build now. And yeah, and also tried to to have take the perspective um, of an underwater creature of a of a whale, and so there are also underwater pictures and underwater um, scenes in the film. When we got here and we put hydrophones in the water, we realized how special this place actually is. This whole area is just one big bowl of whale food. The tankers on the coast, they'll be coming. What can you do? Yeah, I have, um, the kelp was actually so entrancing, the way it just really gave this soothing cadence that um, you hold up the whole way through the film, which is great. My favourite part was probably at the start of the documentary um, when you get to where the whale lab is with Gill Island and it almost reminded me a bit of a planet on Star Wars or something. Would you mind describing the astounding Gill Island Cetacea Laboratory setting um, and how they set up those speakers? Yes, so the um, the whale research station, station is on an island, an uninhabited island on the tip, south tip of that island and um, they are doing land-based research by underwater um, microphones um, and they have speakers all around this little um, area on the island so there is a speaker in the forest there's a speaker in the sleeping room of Herman there's a speaker in the living room and so you are you are on land but at the same time you got the impression that you are underwater because of the acoustic uh, environment so sometimes you hear calls of humpbacks uh, in the forest and then you hear the wind in the trees and you hear the waves um, from from the ocean and so it all mixes together and it really gives a otherworldly feeling of a place which is between land and sea I'm so astounded by it. I almost wish I could just stay there for a little bit, although the science they do there as well looks incredible. You mentioned a bit before about what had what has happened um, in this area with the oil. Would you mind delving a bit more into what's happening now? Yes, the oil pipeline was defeated in 2016, four years ago, uh, and so that threat is gone. But now the the gas industry discovered this this port of Kitimat because it's um, it's the closest connection from North America to Asia, and British Columbia has in the northeast it has a it, it has a huge area where um, gas is extracted by fracking, and this gas needs to be 
sold to some places so um, they have the problem the pressure to get their gas out and one idea is is to transport this gas with a pipeline from the northeast of British Columbia to the coast and from that port of Kitimat through that narrow fjord system to Asia and um, when you're in that fjord system it it it, it's really crazy to imagine that in some years super tankers are going through that system and it's even more crazy when you imagine that humpback population fin whale population and orcas are living in that area besides uh, a stunning wildlife population on land the spirit bear bears like brown bears grizzlies so so it's an area which, from my perspective, shouldn't be a, a tanker line, but of course there are also perspectives and needs needs for jobs. So this is a very complicated situation right now. And there was a final investment decision in 2018 by Shell and their partners to build that liquid natural gas export station in Kitimat. It's planned that um, in 2023 tankers will go through that fjord system. But the situation right now is that um, along the pipeline, which is going to be, or which is planned to be, to be 670 kilometers long, there's one um, First Nation that are the Wet'suwet'en, um, the Wet'suwet'en Nation. Their band councils have signed contracts with the with the um, pipeline company that they agree with the with the construction of that pipeline. But the hereditary chiefs um, are have been stepping in now and saying we are the the traditional leaders and we have more authority because we. Um, we are monitoring um, our land also outside the reserves, so we have to um, consult it and we have not been consulted. And this fight is now spreading all over Canada right now. Um, a lot of um, people are um, protesting in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en First Nation because the police has been going in at the end of January, beginning of February, trying to um, yeah um, get people um, to 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 get to clear that um, place. So yeah, it's 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 a big it's a big movement right now in Canada, and the slogan is um, "Shut Canada Down." So the strategy is to blockade railway. Um, uh, railways, rail, railways, sorry, and to blockade <laughs> right. ports just to get people aware what's happening in this remote part of northern British Columbia. And it's also a fight right now about who has um, the say, the hered her hereditary chiefs or the band councils. And it's going to be really interesting. There's a lawsuit now. Um, being filed by the chiefs to um, sue Canada that they were not consulted and they are also suing the federal government of Canada to that they are not um, complying to the Paris climate goals so yeah it's it's a very recent and very interesting oh, wow. development right now oh I didn't realize that so um 
to clarify, First Nations um, in Canada, they're suing um, not only about not um, being involved in the conversation, but also about um, Canada not living up to the Paris Agreement. Yes, exactly. Wow, right. I think a lot of people in Australia listening to this so far will actually, um, it echoes very similar to a lot of things going on here. So it's really interesting to um, hear a lot of people don't want us to do any more coal mines or fossil fuels. Um, and there has been a lot of protests uh, specifically around um, an Adani mine and one in the Great Australian Bight. So it is interesting hearing um, how another country which has similar oil and gas resources and yes. how the people are um, reacting. Were you in, did you go to Kitimat? You, well, obviously, sorry, you filmed from there. But um, what's the environment like, like the political environment like when you're in Kitimat? Are people very, up, I mean, I can imagine people would be quite upset. So in Kit- Kitimat is, is one of the most friendly little towns I, I've been in, in British Columbia. People are really, really nice. And it's a, it's a little town which was constructed and um, founded around an, an aluminum smelter, which was built there in the 50s. Of course, without consulting indigenous people uh, back at that time. So the, the situation in Kitimat is interesting. When the oil pipeline proposal was um, um, on the plate between 2006 and 2016, the town of Kidimat initiated a plebiscite, so they voted, the town voted whether they wanted to have the oil coming into their town and being exported from their town, and they voted against it. So they said, we don't want to have oil um, transported through our pristine fjord system. But with the gas, it's it's different because gas, if, if, if a tanker has an accident, um, the gas will explode, but it will not go into the water. So they accepted the, the, the gas proposal and they accepted that a, a huge LNG export terminal, terminal is going to be built there. doesn't matter to a whale whether or not it's an LNG tanker or a cruiser tanker. The noise is going to be the same, the threats to the whales will be the same. That's sort of what is hanging as a dark cloud over this whole area here. So the situation right now is in favor of the gas industry, but it was against the oil industry. So people there are in need of jobs. They are depending mm-hmm. on jobs in the industry, but they want to do everything <laughs> for, 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 for jobs. I mean, your documentary really does do a great job of displaying all these um, many factors, a multitude of issues um, that are all connected by wildlife. So I guess that's the political side. But how has the Kitimat Ford, both the species and inhabitants, been affected by anthropogenic warming? So you mean by climate change? change um, yes. 
Yeah. Um, people there are seeing more and more um, warmer and drier summers, so there is less rain, which is really important for um, wildlife there, especially for um, salmon, because if mm -hmm. the rivers dry out, they can't. Yeah, the, the salmon runs are um, affected by less water. There was a humpback whale singing, which was the first time ever in May. They usually start singing in late summer, early fall. Right. It was just so beautiful, but I it just makes so. you wonder, you know, is this part of a change, you right. know, with climate change and warmer waters and... What does it mean? It's I've told people, just enjoy while mm, you can. While you can. Enjoy every mm. moment while you can. Mm -hmm. The outside world is moving mm -hmm. in fast. And Granny's the happiest person to see the price of oil going down every day. <laughs> that means the price of gas stays low too. <laughs> I never realized that oil and our dollar sort of work and sink, sink together. They sink at the same time. They sink at the same time. <laughs> and, the, and the control of gas and oil on, on, the, Canadian, on the Canadian dollar. Yeah. Nothing else has affected the Canadian dollar like that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it just, <laughs> so Grand Granny with her with her world view here, it just but but it's just the it's just the idea and if there's anything that that anything that Granny was so proud of is that we had Trudeau visit us here mm. in this small community and come into into my house and that my son in law was able to take him out out on the plane to see the territory mm -hmm. of the Gitkats mm -hmm. and to see how narrow that this channel mm -hmm. is. And so he was able to observe that right. firsthand, this, this our, yeah. our territory. And it probably made up, was a big part of his decision to say, there's no room for oil tankers in the Great right. Rainforest. That's right, yeah. that's right. There's also been seen a decline in the humpback um, mother population, so that these populations are going down and this could be due to warmer waters, but it could be also due to that there's less food, herring coming in, so it's, it's, it's a complicated chain of different um, mm. influences because the, um, there's also a herring fishery and overfishing is a topic, so all this uh, together is yeah is putting pressure on, on the population but on the other other hand side the humpback populations are have been increasing between 2002 and 2014 15 constantly and mm -hmm. it could be also that they are now at a level where they can't grow because the food is is limited i guess this is probably what the gill island satisha laboratory is working on um as well yes yeah. So what made you choose to direct this film? What made me choose to direct this, this film? Yes, um, the topic kind of found me. Um, I was like Herman Meuter is a friend of, of my husband and me since a very long time. He comes from, from he grew up um, in Germany and studied in Cologne sports. So, and then he emigrated. He started as an assistant of Paul Spong at Orca Lab, which is a whale research, orca research station on Vancouver Island. 
And when he um, arrived in the north of British Columbia, he asked his friends to help him to build a house. So seven people from Germany flew over and we we helped um, Herman and Janie to build a house within six weeks, which was quite a challenge because the next supermarket is five hours away by boat and the next construction wow. a store as well. Um, so I got there 2002 for the first time and I had a humpback encounter. I was sitting on a rock, it was almost dark and humpback came really close to those rocks and experiencing uh, a whale from so close made me really, it kind of changed my perspective on, on, on this planet. I understood that we as humans are not alone here on that planet. Mm. And it made me feel really humble and yeah, it left me with, with a feeling of awe. And when I heard that in 2006, 7, 8, I heard for the first time about this oil project and then I got interested as a filmmaker because I thought it's such a, it's such a unique um, place and oil tankers going through that place I, I was yeah I mm. I thought I have to tell this story I have to sh the, I have to show the world this place and this yeah complicated um, political um, setting it took me quite a long time to find um, the money to do this um, film so by the time we started to film um, the oil, project was gone but gas was um, on the plate so <laughs> yes right <laughs> so with that whale encounter um you seem quite moved by it um is there was a part of wanting to tell this story kind of wanting to be able to share or a feeling of almost responsibility for the whales in this area I don't feel responsible for, for the whales um, because I'm living in Germany and <laughs> it's the territory of the Gitget nation. So it's their land. They live there since 10,000 years. For me, so they are the guardians um, mm. of, of this land. For me, it's more a metaphoric um, story because the story could happen also in Aust Australia <laughs> it could also <laughs> happen in in Germany I don't know not with with whales of course but with another species um, so I feel res responsible uh, as a human citizen of this planet to to do my little part to bring awareness and to work for a um, change of perspective but I personally do not responsible for, for the whales and the Kedemet fjord system because, yeah, I'm not from there. It's not your <laughs> land. Yeah, not your yeah. land. Yep. Yes. Um, wow. What did you, did you say human citizen of this world? I love that. That's such a <laughs> great way to say it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I did say this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. I may, I may say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so while I was watching The Whale and the Raven, so uh, listeners, even though we've been talking about some pretty intense issues, um, actually while watching the film, um, I was, I found it 
really weirdly soothing. It's just got this beautiful momentum and lull, almost as if you actually are hearing the lapping of the ocean or something. And I was realizing while watching it that possibly it's because a lot of the hard-hitting facts that you talk about in regards to the oil and the LNG, and a lot of those facts you outline in white text over a soothing and startling scenery. And I was wondering if that decision was intentional and why. Yeah, it it was very intentional because I think you can capture or touch people's heart by beauty and by by telling a, a, a story which uh, opens your heart and this place is such a such a unique place with all the whale um, vocalizations and with with the natural surrounding and there are enough documentaries out there hard-hitting facts and you go out of the cinema uh, and you want <laughs> you think it's everything is too late what can i do so you uh, you you we did not want our audience to leave um, with this feeling of desperation but more with a feeling of being touched by 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 beauty and also um, we wanted to transmit the perspective uh, of a non-human being so we really tried to to make this film in an immersive way that you really get the feeling as as a viewer that you are in the ocean or that you are in the air flying as a raven over over the landscape it yeah. definitely happens. I can see um, why it was called The Whale and the Raven. Although, actually, that was more in reference to the two scientists, wasn't it? Yes. Getting adopted yes. into, yeah. Yeah, so the two scientists, Janie and Herman, were adopted as a, a blackfish, as an orca, and Herman as a raven into the clan system of the Gitget First Nation. And for mm. me, this is also... Um, uh, interesting construction or uh, uh, another um, it shows another relationship between humans and non-humans so that humans can become um, uh, animals so-called animals um, and I think that's another another way to perceive um, the world and the relationship between humans and the, the non-human world Mm, definitely. Um, I have to confess, I actually have a massive fear of orcas. So I actually had to skip a little bit because they're, um, I get that they're, they're absolutely beautiful creatures and I have all respect for them, of course. But yes, there was a couple scenes there where I had to skip through because they're very intelligent. Really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It's just an irrational fear I have. Okay, because in, in, in Canada there are two, um, uh, actually three different orca populations. The resident orcas, um, they feed on salmon and then there are the transient orcas, they feed on marine mammals and mm. then there are the offshore orcas um, who feed on mostly sharks. So they are Really? Many, yes. Wow, that's so distinct in such a almost short space as well to have such a, you know, significant dietary change. Yes, yes. Yeah. Wow. So what is your conclusion after working so many years on this film? Um, and are there any solutions? Well, I think, I think one of the solutions is that we, like, like the... When I say we, I, I mean because I'm of a, I'm a white woman from Germany, 
and and Canada is um, was colonized by white like by Europeans. So when when I say we, I, I refer to this this population is that like white people or the or the people who colonized this world, they have a worldview which. Um, I think distance us from the natural world. So I think one of the solutions for me is to listen better to indigenous people and to to respect their connection to the land and to really listen what their solutions are. And for me, this this is would be one solution. But unfortunately, right now, all over the world, indigenous people are. Um, are under huge pressure their voices are not heard they are like in south south america they are murdered in in the amazon and so australia yeah, this would be is one not solution great for me yes this this would be one solution for me and um, in general to change our perspective towards the world and to rethink the human non-human relationship to think about how do we treat our non-human family members let's so let's let's say it like this because because we are living here together on this planet and if one if one species or so many species will um die um or will go extinct i think that's that's also not good for for the human race mm yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned that uh, some of the First Nations, um, such as the Gitgat, uh, maybe had some solutions. Do you know any examples of what their solutions are? Yeah, so 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 one solution would be um, a more um, a more sustainable way of fishing, to have not industrial um, fishing practices, but listening more to to um to salmon runs and to to monitor them in 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 the way the the get do this but of course the department of ocean and fisheries has a completely other approach they um, have their quota and they have their scientists sitting and um i think it's big it's starting in canada slowly slowly that they're also listening to indigenous harvesting and fishing practices um i think that would be a solution because overfishing is a is a huge topic um all over the world i think when we were talking earlier you mentioned that you may have some call to actions or um below this podcast we can put some links to some websites is there any call to action you would like to um present yes so so right now with the situation right now i think one call to action I would like to make is there is a legal fund of the Unistoten nation. Um, they are a, a group within the Wet'suwet'en nation and they have a legal fund to um, finance all those lawsuits like the lawsuit um, against the federal government um, of Canada to um, to come com- comply with the climate uh, goals of the Paris Agreement and also um, the lawsuit that the hereditary chiefs um, ha- have to be consulted. And I think that's that's a really good and important initiative. Um, so if people want to donate to this fund, um, I think that would be great. 
and of course also if if people want to support the um, research of Cheney Ray and Turman Meuter, um, there are also uh, websites. They have their own societies now because they have um, divided over the. Um, while we were filming, they separated, uh, not only mm -hmm. private, but also in terms of working, in terms of the research. So oh, wow. the <laughs> websites, um, you can find the websites also um, there. For the two, the whale and the raven? Yes. <laughs> As in the separate whale and the raven. Sorry, that was confusing. <laughs> yes. <the separate laughs> My whale, bad. Whale and the raven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so I generally always like to leave um, podcasts because often, unfortunately, it being a climate-based podcast, I seem to often talk about pretty depressing factors. But I do always like to leave on a cheery note if I can. So do you have uh, any fun, quirky stories about your time filming in the Kitimat Ford? Yes, I do. Um, so when we filmed there, we, we created um, um, a little... Um, Comedy from from the village of Hardley Bay, from the Gitget First Nation, to um, accompany the film and to to yeah to to make a good communication. Chris Bolton, one of the members of this committee, told me it would be good, Miriam, if you would introduce yourself to the to the village that they know who you are, who is this person walking through the village with a camera, and um, and he said, yeah, and you, you can write this. Our website is called Hardly, Hardly Bits. And I understood Hardly Bitch. And I said, <laughs> okay, so I, I will, um, I will <laughs> introduce myself um, at Hardly Bitch. And oh. so I kind of got to, got, yeah, like people laughed uh, about this and were laughing. <laughs> the Hardly Bitch <laughs> thing. Oh, well, I guess that's kind of good. It's better to be Hardly Bitch than Mostly Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I'd just love to thank the Climactic Collective. Definitely check out the other podcasts. Uh, Mark Spencer, of course, for founding Climactic in the first place. Um, to you, Miriam, and also the listeners. Um, so Miriam has given us a call to action, and we will have the links out below. Um, and I also absolutely urge listeners to watch The Whale and the Raven. It's honestly just... Uh, it's breathtaking um, and I keep saying the word stunning because it's just it really is stunning you'll see when you watch it um, and thank you again so much for your time today Miriam thank you Tess it was a pleasure talking with you thank you for joining us you've been listening to Climactic the flagship podcast of the Climactic Collective a podcast network dedicated to lifting the voices of the climate community you can find out more about the people behind Climactic and all the shows we produce at climactic.fm. We are a social enterprise podcast network, and we greatly appreciate your support. You can find a link to our Pausable where you can support us directly in the show notes of this episode or from our website. Thank you for listening, and from the whole Climactic Collective, keep up the great work and take care of each other in these climactic times. The Climactic Collective. Collective.